You're listening to Legion, the podcast about the devil and all his works. From obsessions to possessions, from hexes to hauntings, if it's demonic, I'm on it. I'm Susan Vigilante. Welcome to the podcast. In the last podcast, I started telling you the story of Emma Schmidt. Emma was an American woman who, in 1912, was determined to be possessed by a devil. She turned to a priest named Father Theophilus Riesinger, who performed a successful exorcism on her in uh, June of that year, June 18th. It only took a day for this exorcism to be a success, and that's really all we know about it. We just know stuff, all we know from the Vatican records is that it was over in a day and she was fine. Well, now it's 16 years later. It's 1928, and the symptoms of possession are tormenting Emma again. So once again, she turns to Father Theo, because he'd helped her before. Of course, he could help her again. But as I told you last time, this time Father Theo was scared. He hesitated to take the case on, and he had never done that in his life. It wasn't his first exorcism, after all. So why? Why would Father Theo be afraid to help Emma out a second time? The answer can be found in the Gospel of St. Matthew. Now, the Gospels are full of stories of Jesus casting out demons. He cast demons out of Mary Magdalene. He cast demons out of people who couldn't speak. Uh, but probably the most famous story is something called the story of the Gerasene demoniac. This is a story that is found in all three of the synoptic Gospels. And it's, uh, it's, it's quite a story. Basically, the story is this. There's a man who is living, as the Gospels all put it, among the tombs in the country of the Gerasenes. He terrorizes everyone in the neighborhood. He's constantly screaming and bellowing. He's constantly pounding himself with rocks. He has superhuman strength. People are so scared of this guy that they have tried to tie him up with chains, but he has broken the chains every single time. Everybody is afraid of this man. So Jesus turns up one day and asks him, What's your name? And he responds, My name is Legion, for we are many. Yes, that, by the way, that is where the uh, title of this podcast comes from. So Jesus orders the demons to get out of the man and leave him alone. So there's a herd of swine, about 2,000 pigs nearby, and they say, Send us into the swine. We'll go there. And Jesus sends them into the swine. And all the swine go rushing to the cliff and fall off the cliff and drown in the sea. But after that, the man's fine. He's, he's in his right mind. He puts some clothes back on. Everybody sees, wow, this man has really performed something here. Great story, right? I mean, bad for the swine, maybe, but, but great for the demoniac. Good for Jesus. Good for his disciples. But a couple of chapters later in the same gospel, uh, this one is from Matthew, Jesus gives a warning to his disciples that is quite chilling. In verse 43 of the 12th chapter of Matthew, Jesus explains something to his disciples. He tells them, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he passes through waterless places seeking rest, but he finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and brings with him seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. 
So what he's basically saying is once I kick demons out of a person, uh, the demon is stuck in the desert. He's wandering out, wandering around. He can't find any water. He can't find any place to rest. And he decides to maybe cruise through his old neighborhood. And then he notices his house. The last place he lived is looking really good. I mean, somebody's cleaned it up. It's all swept out. All that demony, awful stuff is gone. It looks really attractive. So he figures, yeah, why not just move back in there? You know what? In fact, I'm going to take some buddies with me. This is going to be great. And remember, those demons are worse than the last time. Now, Father Theo knew this very well, and he knew what it meant. He knew that this would not be any ordinary exorcism if, you, if such a thing exists. This wouldn't be an ordinary one. This would be the worst he'd ever done. It would be the hardest on him and certainly the hardest on Emma. And it was really quite a daunting task. But he couldn't turn Emma away. He could never turn someone who was suffering like this away. He said people who are possessed, he told the Milwaukee Sentinel years later that um, if somebody's suffering from possession, that person is the most miserable person on earth. And if you have the power to help them and you don't do it, you are doing something very wrong. So Father Theo said, okay, Emma, we're going to find you some help. But as I said, it was going to be very tough and he had to make some decisions first. For one thing, he knew he couldn't do it in Marathon. You know, he'd already exercised Emma in Marathon once. He couldn't have everybody pointing at her and saying, hey, you know, the devil got her twice. Because that would, you know, imagine what that would be like for her. And like I said before, it's a small town. Everybody knows everything. He also knew he couldn't do it alone. He was going to need backup. Fortunately, Father Theo had a very dear friend who was the pastor of a parish in Erling, Iowa. His name was Father Joseph Steiger. So Father Theo got in touch with him and asked him two favors. One, can I perform an exorcism in your parish? And two, will you assist? Father Steiger, you know, thought this was a little weird. I mean, he was your basic, you know, he was a parish priest. He, he never exercised anybody like this. He just, you know, scheduled the altar boys and said the weddings and, you know, did the baptisms and, you know, looked over the bake sales once in a while. But he told Theo, they really, they were good friends. He said, we have a convent here, a convent of Franciscan nuns. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll ask the mother superior if it's all right with her, because I'm not going to let you do it in the rectory and you can't, obviously can't do it in the church, but I'll ask her if it's okay with her if you do this exorcism in the convent. And if she says yes, well, okay, then I'll talk to my bishop and we'll go forward with this thing. I often wonder what Father Steiger's face must have looked like when the mother superior told him, yeah, great, let's bring it on, let's kick some demon butt right here because I'm pretty sure he was not expecting that kind of a response. Then he went to his bishop and said, you know, Father Theophilus has asked me, can he perform an exorcism in my parish? Is that all right with you? And the bishop told him, well, yes, it's, it's all right with me, but are, are you sure you want to get involved in this? And Father Steiger basically said, oh, come on, how bad can it be? You know what they say, famous last words. I'm sure those would come back to haunt Father Steiger in the next few months. So one summer evening, two Franciscan nuns waited on the platform at the train station in Erling, Iowa. They were waiting for the train from Marathon. Marathon was some 500 miles away. They were waiting for a particular passenger, and they had one job. Get this passenger into their car and drive her to the convent. That's all they had to do. 
given that it was a 500-mile trip, they probably thought it wouldn't be too difficult because after 500 miles on a train, wouldn't this person be exhausted? Wouldn't she just be you know, easy to deal with? That was not how it turned out. When the train came chugging into the station, first person to jump off was the conductor, and he came running toward the nuns. He said, I know who you're waiting for, and I want to tell you something. Your people warned me that this person would be trouble, but I never saw anything like this in my life. That woman is out of her mind. Don't put her on my trains again. I can't deal with it. Nobody can. And people start getting off behind the conductor, and they're all meeting their relatives, and they're picking up their baggage, and they're dispersing. Finally, Emma Schmidt gets off the train, and all hell breaks loose. She starts shrieking. She starts hissing. She starts spitting like a cat. She comes charging at those nuns like she was going to murder them. I don't know how these two sisters managed to get her into their car. They must have had a lot of help from God, but they somehow managed to get her into the car, and as quickly as they could, they drove her back to the convent. Now, meanwhile, on the other side of town, a different train was pulling into a different station. Father Theo had taken the precaution of taking a completely different train from the one Emma was on, trying to deflect any kind of suspicion. He, her security was very important to him, so he didn't want people to start suspecting things. Train pulls in, the doors open up, Father Theo gets off, and he looks up and down the platform. But there's no sign of Father Steiger, who was supposed to meet him there and drive him back to the rectory. He waits a little while, and he waits a little while... And finally, he thinks, okay, I'm going to go to the waiting room. And he goes down to the waiting room with his little valise, and he waits there. And he waits, and he waits, and he waits. Until finally, a shiny new car pulls into the railroad station's parking lot. And a very flustered, very embarrassed Father Steiger gets out comes running over to Theo and says, Theo, I'm so sorry I'm late. I have no idea what went wrong. I left the rectory hours ago, but for some reason, I just couldn't get the car to pick up any speed. And I know there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, look at it. This is a brand new car. But Theo just smiled knowingly and said, this is the enemy's work. He's going to do everything he can to stop us. And messing with your car is just one of his little tricks. So they both get into the car and they drive to the rectory. And by the time Father Theo gets to the rectory, he's pretty exhausted. He's just come 500 miles. He decides he's going to go to bed and Father Steiger goes to bed and the housekeeper goes to bed. And then in the middle of the night, there's this furious hammering on the rectory door. It wakes everybody up. They all come running to the front door. It's one of the nuns from the convent. And she says, Father, please come quick. That woman you sent us, she is destroying the place. The two priests go racing over to the convent, try to see what's going on. It turned out that when they were trying to give Emma something to eat, a very well-intentioned nun in the kitchen had sprinkled some holy water on the food. And of course, a possessed person can sense holy water. Emma saw this and she went ballistic. She, start, she threw the plates against the wall. She started going for the nun's neck. She started tearing down the curtain. She, she was tearing the place apart. The nuns were very shaken by this, but one of them had the good sense to go back and get another plate of food and not put anything on it other than you know, salt and pepper, no holy water at all. That Emma ate. After a while, Emma was calm enough to go to bed, and the two priests returned to the rectory, 
and everybody went to bed. The next morning, Father Steiger and Father Theo got up early, went to the church, said Mass, and then walked over to the convent. Everything was ready. Everything was prepared exactly the way Father Theo had instructed. There was an iron bedstead in one room. Emma was lying on it. The strongest nuns in the convent were there around the bed. They were there to hold her down in case she got violent. Father Theo opens his book and begins the ritual of exorcism. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, that is as far as he got, because with lightning speed, Emma tore loose from the grip of the strongest nuns in the convent and flew to the ceiling. She lodged herself in a corner above the door, like some kind of, you know, giant lizard, and glared down at everybody. The nuns are freaking out. Father Steiger's freaking out. Father Theo stays calm. He says, oh, just, just get her down. You have to pull her down. Get her back on the bed. They manage to do this. They pull her down. They get her back on the bed. They call in stronger hands. They call in more strong nuns. And Father Steiger resumes the ritual of exorcism again. But the second Emma is back on the bed, the great howling starts. The whole room was suddenly filled with these terrifying screams, like wild animals somewhere in a desert far away. Now, it's important to understand that the sound wasn't coming from Emma exactly. It was coming from the demons inside her, and it was terrible and very, very, very disturbing. The windows of this room were closed. That did not keep the screams inside the room. Within minutes, people from all over town were racing toward the convent, wanting to know what was going on. Finally, somebody said, they're, they're driving the devil out of somebody. They ha they're driving the devil out of someone. So that was the end of the, any hope for the privacy of this whole experience. It had to end sometime, Father Theo figured, but it, not quite this early. Now, the windows were closed, but that didn't help. Everyone on the street could hear the shrieks and the howls. People came running from all over town. The words spread like wildfire. They're driving the devil out of someone in the convent. That was the end of the privacy hope. Emma's body, during all this shrieking and screaming, is distorting in hideous ways. Her head swells up like a watermelon. Her belly swelled up like some kind of huge medicine ball. And the skin on the surface of her belly was rippling in little waves. Her eyes were closed, but behind the eyelids, you could see what looked like two little dried peas moving rapidly back and forth. She looked scarcely human. Now, the nuns assisting at the exorcism were very brave women. But after a few minutes of this, they started to falter. They decided they would take turns stepping outside just to get a breath of fresh air. One problem, there was no fresh air. Because the whole time the howls were going on, Emma was vomiting up huge masses of the foulest smelling stuff anyone there had ever witnessed. Some said it looked like a macaroni. Somebody else said, no, it looked more like chewed up tobacco. Whatever it was, buckets of it were coming out of Emma's mouth, and it stank to high heaven. And remember, this is coming from a woman who's barely eaten in weeks. Many years later, in fact, a man whose grandfather was in Erling at the time still remembered this horrible smell. It was like it was still stuck inside his nostrils, and he, he never really ever got over it. Just the thought of it made him feel sick. And this went on for days and days. 
dozens of demonic voices are coming out of Emma's body. High ones, low ones, screaming, hideous ones, growling ones like lions. There were a lot of demons in there. I should point out, though, that this exorcism, which didn't end until December, didn't happen in one continuous streak. It would go on for a few days until everybody was too worn out to go on. Then it would stop, and Father Theo and the others, including Emma, would get a few days rest. The nuns would carry Emma out of the room and get her cleaned up, get her fed. Then everyone would pull themselves together, and the whole thing would start again. But given all this shrieking, it became very clear to Father Theo that Emma was possessed by more than one demon. He could hear them like a mob, but he knew that one of them had to be the leader, and he needed that leader's name if he was going to get anywhere. That's the first thing an exorcist needs. He must have the name of the demon or whoever is the leader of the demons, or the whole thing won't even get started. Over and over and over over the course of weeks, Father Theo demanded, what's your name? Tell me your name. I know you have a name. Tell me your name. The demons just laughed. Then finally one day he got a break. What's your name? He said again for the umpteenth time. Tell me your name. This time, a deep, terrifying voice bellowed through the convent. I am Beelzebub. The priests looked at each other. Beelzebub? Ah, that's not good. And Father Theo thought, you know what? Demons are liars, and they're also really vain. Let me see if I can get a better answer out of this guy. And he says, oh, oh, no. You can't be just Beelzebub. You're so powerful. You've got to be the prince of demons. You have to be Satan himself. And the demon replied, no, but I am one of the leaders. Theo took one last shot at the demon's vanity. He said, nah, I don't believe you. You're just a fallen angel. You're probably from the lower ranks. The voice replied, I once belonged to the Seraphic Choir. Now, for those of you who don't follow this kind of thing on a regular basis, angels are divided into choirs. There are nine choirs of angels. Same with demons. They are, belong to the choir that, the corresponding choir that they fell from. The Seraphic Choir is the top numero uno apex choir. In heaven, the Seraphic Choir of angels are the angels who look directly at God. Now here's a pop quiz. Which well-known demon fell from the seraphic choir? Anyone? Anyone? Yes, you at the back. Yes, that's correct, Lucifer. Lucifer fell from the seraphic choir. And now we're talking to his pal Beelzebub, who is basically Lucifer's right-hand man. That's the importance that hell had assigned to Emma Schmidt. That's how badly they wanted her soul. That was enough for Theo. He believed the demon now. So step one has been accomplished. Father Theo has the name of the demon, but he needs more. He needs to know how the demons got into Emma in the first place. Now he knew, and any exorcist knows, there are basically two ways a devil enters a human being. The first way is maleficium. That's basically, you know, black magic. The second way is a curse. People can curse devils into another person. Well, Father Theo knew Emma very well. He knew she was no you know, witch or anything like that. She didn't have any black magic on her resume. So it had to be a curse. 
Father Theo asked the demon, how long have you been torturing this poor woman? And Beelzebub bragged, since her 14th year. Theo, now he's getting mad. How dare you? She was an innocent child. How dare you torture an innocent child? And then Beelzebub just sneers. I had, I had an invitation. It was her own father who cursed me into her. Theo asked, is that man here? Is he here with you in hell? Beelzebub said, sure. He's been here ever since he was damned. Well, let me speak to him. Beelzebub refused. But he let a different demon speak. This voice was deeper and scarier and more spine-chillingly horrifying, almost, than that of Beelzebub. Father Theo said, what's your name? The demon said, I am Judas. And once again, the room was filled with spine, spine-chilling, terrifying howls and the screams of a thousand tortured souls. Emma started puking again, even more disgustingly than before. The stuff smelled worse, and she emitted even more of it, barrels full of it. At this point, Father Steiger couldn't take it anymore. He ran out of the room, leaving Theo to face Judas Iscariot on his own. Theo wondered, what is Judas doing here? I mean, I expected demons, but what, what is Judas doing here? So he asked, what are you doing here? And Judas replied, I am here to bring her to despair so she will hang herself, as I did. That's what Satan wanted. He wanted Emma to kill herself. He wanted her to kill herself and be with him forever in hell. So, so far, we have the names. We have Beelzebub, and we have Judas. And we have a hint as to how the demons got into Emma in the first place. Apparently, Jacob was involved. And you would think, you know, Beelzebub, Judas, that's, that's enough. We'll, we'll deal with those two. But actually, the party was just getting started, because one day, Jacob showed up. Theo wanted answers from Jacob. He demanded, was it true you had many affairs? Jacob said, well, of course. In fact, uh, quite a few of my mistresses are in hell with me. Theo asked, is that why you were damned? Oh, no, no. Jacob said, there were other reasons. And what were those other? Jacob said that since Emma was 14 years old, he had been trying to force her into committing incest with him. But, you know, would you believe it? The girl had the audacity to fight him off. So Jacob had cursed her and given his full permission to all the demons of hell to enter her and urge her to do the most debased things, things they knew would ruin her body and soul. This is what Emma had been dealing with since she was 14 years old. Father Theo had heard some terrible things in his time. But this was the worst thing he'd ever heard. A father trying to rape his own daughter and then sending demons into her because she refused him. He was outraged. He said, how dare you? How dare you curse your own child? And Jacob's reply was quite telling. She's my own child. Can I not do with her as I please? So Jacob had destroyed his family with, with his constant affairs. He had looked on his daughter as some kind of concubine to be used however he wished. He had tried to force her into sex with him, and he had cursed Beelzebub into her soul. He told Theo that it was not the dreadful sins he had committed in his lifetime that had damned him. It was the fact that he had given his own child to the devil, that from beyond the grave he was still plotting to destroy her. That was what had sent Jacob to hell. That is what damned him for all eternity. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, what had Emma ever done to him? Nothing. She was completely innocent. What kind of a father is that that hates innocence itself? 
Well, okay, ask yourself, who else hates innocence itself? That's the hatred of Lucifer himself, who is helping Jacob ruin his daughter's life. Judas, Jacob, Beelzebub, countless other demons. But there was one more demon Theo had to meet. When the prayers of exorcism resumed, they noticed a voice coming to the forefront. There was a voice that had been in the background the whole time. It was kind of high and shrieky. When Theo demanded this demon's name, it replied, I am Minna. You remember Minna? Emma's aunt, her stepmother, and the lover of her father, Jacob. Theo asked Minna, why had she been damned? What was, was it her long, immoral life with Jacob? She said, no. She'd been damned because she'd killed people. Now, this was a shock to everyone in the room. It was especially a shock to Theo. He knew the people of Marathon, Wisconsin quite well. Once again, small town, everybody knows everything. But he had never heard, he'd never heard that Minna had killed anyone. I mean, that kind of thing, you, you would know. Everybody would know that. Whatever killing she'd done had to have been in secret. How do you kill in secret? So he demanded, who'd you kill? And Minna said shortly, little ones, three, no, four. Babies. Minna had killed babies. She had more to say. She said that when Emma was a child, she had sprinkled her food with cursed herbs that would make it hard for her to resist Jacob. So that's another tidbit that confirmed here. There had been rumors in the town for years that Minna was a witch. Now Theo knew for sure it was true. Minna was a witch. She practiced black magic. She practiced it on Emma. It must have really infuriated Minna that her spells didn't work. Here's a tidbit for you. Later on, the witnesses all said that of all the demons, Judas Iscariot, Beelzebub himself, Jacob, thousands of other demons, of all those demons, Minna was the worst. She spit the farthest. She, you know, made the poor girl puke the most. She screamed the loudest. She was the worst demon of all. I mean, can you imagine being worse than Judas? That's, that's quite an achievement. So weeks pass. Prayers are said. Relics are brought in. Holy water is splashed all over the room. And all the while, Emma's body is distorting in ever more hideous ways. Just watching Emma was torture to the nuns. They were sure she was going to die. And all the while, hordes of lesser demons came and went, shrieking and wailing. Father Theo lost count of how many he expelled. In all the commotion, another person seemed to fade into the background. And that was Father Steiger. Next time, I'll tell you all about Father Steiger's ordeal at the hands of the devil and how it damn near killed him. I'll also tell you about how had Emma not been exorcised by Father Theo, the Pope might have been murdered. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Legion, the podcast about the devil and all his works. See you next time, and remember, the devil's first trick is to convince you he doesn't exist. Bye now.